Well, hey, that's uh, one of our favorite things to do at Christmas season. We did it at first service, and it just never loses its uh, magnitude that God brings life into the world, and we get to be a part of that. Amen? I mean, it's just kind of crazy when you actually pause, get off your phone and social media, and stop talking about politics. <laughs> to realize the miracle of life. And that's actually what we're gonna talk about today as we continue our series, Questioning Christmas. We're gonna ask this question today, what about the virgin birth? What about the virgin birth? Now, I realize for many of you, the virgin birth is not really something you dive into a whole lot. Maybe you kind of gloss over it. Maybe you're just confused by it. Maybe you don't think it's an essential part of the Christian faith. And that's why we're gonna talk about it. Uh, because it is an p- essential part of the Christian faith, and, and we need to have a better understanding of it. But I think the reality is, for most of us, it just kind of pulls us out of our comfort zone, right? And uh, this week, I was pulled out of my comfort zone. Like, uh, I took my six-year-old daughter to a birthday party. Hold on a second. Without my wife. <laughs> Like, it pulled me out of my comfort zone. You see, the reality is, like, I'm in, on, uh, on stage in front of people a lot, around people a lot, but I'm actually a pretty introverted person. And so going to a birthday party with a lot of parents I really don't know, that intimidates me, right? Any introverts in the room? Right? You didn't even raise your hand because you're introverted, <laughs> right? So I'll pray for you. You pray for me like we're in this thing together, Right? <laughs> But it was really intimidating for me to go to this birthday party with parents I didn't know by myself, but I I stepped out in faith, out of my comfort zone, and I began to talk to the other parents at the party. And you know, what we talked about primarily revolved around two different questions. What do you do and where are you from? If you go to Christmas parties right now, birthday parties, some of you, you probably had conversations revolved around those two questions. Hey, what do you do for a living? Hey, where are you from? Because not many people are Phoenicians. Right? So that's what we talked about at this birthday party. And once we got past the awkwardness of what do you do because I'm a pastor, I really tried to hone in on, hey, where are you from? And the family that hosted the party, they were from uh, Greek origin. And so we actually talked about Greek and we talked about the language of Greek because they were teaching their kids Greek. And that's something as a weird pastor, I got to relate to them about because I learned Greek in seminary and grad school. So we kind of talked about that and, and, and all these amazing conversations happened. And, and for you introverts or for people that when I say invite people to Christmas service, you kind of get nervous about that. You need to know God used that time and me stepping out of my comfort zone and faith. Uh, God used it primarily with my six-year-old daughter. She invited her friend to church today. And so we get to talk about church and God all because we stepped out of our comfort zone. I would encourage you, invite somebody next Sunday as our kids sing on stage. Invite somebody to the Christmas Eve service. God will use that. I'm a testament to that, even yesterday. But God pulled me out of my comfort zone in this way. But but ultimately, it was a great conversation because, because the reality is we learn a lot about when we realize where people are from, we learn a lot about who they are. Right? And it's the same with Jesus Christ. And it's the same reason why we have to talk about the virgin birth. We learn a lot about Jesus when we learn about who Jesus came from. Mary and ultimately God. And it's very critical for our faith, but it's something we often gloss over. So we're all going to this morning step out of our comfort zone and step into faith and talk about this question of what about the virgin birth? Okay, so we're gonna do that from Luke chapter one, verses 26 through 38. So if you have a Bible, uh, grab it and go there. If you have a phone, pull it up on your phone. I want you to see God's word with your own eyes. The power is not in my word, it's in God. So look at God's word with me, Luke 1, 26 through 38. 
If you got it, say amen. 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 So some of y'all are still turning. Go ahead. Luke 1, 26 through 38. Here we go. It says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. There's a lot there. We're gonna break it into three points. Here they are if you're taking notes. The woman, the wonder, and the why. So first, the, the woman of the virgin birth. I wanna give you some of the, the setting and the sequence here that I think is gonna teach you something about Mary, but also more importantly about Jesus and us. Here's what we see in this passage. We see the angel Gabriel showing up to Mary with big news. But we also see that's not the first big news that the angel Gabriel shares. Like earlier in Luke chapter one, we see the angel shares uh, amazing big news with Zechariah and Elizabeth, who we learn are Mary's relatives. And he shared with them, Mary's a virgin. Well, that's a miracle. You're gonna have a baby. But Elizabeth was barren. Well, that's a miracle. You're gonna have a baby. And many of you know the story that Elizabeth goes on to have John the Baptist and John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. So there's this connection between these two miracle babies, but there also is a sequence here. See, twice in this passage, we see the sixth month, the sixth month. That's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So we kind of get a timeline here. And we have to look at that and we have to notice those details because nowhere in here do you see once upon a time. Remember last week we talked about this. You can go back and watch that sermon. These are real people with real family ties. Relatives are involved. Births are involved. It's happening in real time. And Luke, the author, he wants you to know that. He wants you to know this is true. This is a story that's connected to history. And friends, we have a hope that's connected to history, amen? It's we need to pay attention to these details right off the top. But those aren't the only details we get. We get the sequence, but we also get the setting. Verse 26, again, we see this town is called Nazareth. So picture the angel Gabriel and Mary, they're talking in a town, a real town, real place called Nazareth. It was a real place that had a region called Galilee. And Luke shares that because that's an important detail to note. In fact, most scholars will look back at the town of Nazareth and say maybe it was a town of like 150 people. It was a really small town, like the town my wife grew up in, Holland, Texas. You heard of it? No, don't lie, right? It's a cornfield, right? Nobody's heard of it. It's a tiny town, 
like the town of Nazareth, right? And we're getting these details, like it's this tiny town in this larger region of Galilee because Luke's readers probably wouldn't have known where Nazareth was, right? And so we're getting a little bit of the setting and the sequence from Luke to tell us, hey, this is a story connected to history. This is something reliable and historical. Again, we talked about this last week, but I don't want you to miss it. But we also get this setting and this sequence, and we learn a little bit about Mary. We learn a little bit about the woman of the virgin birth, which is important because in our world, in our culture, and even in the church of Jesus Christ, we have different views of who Mary is, don't we? Maybe some of you, you grew up in a, a kind of a Catholic tradition and Mary was exalted in that tradition. And you always maybe thought about her that way. And you saw the paintings of Mary being depicted as a 30 plus year old woman with a golden crown and sitting on a golden throne. Do you seen those paintings? And we kind of exalt Mary in, on one side of the spectrum and say, man, man, all that happened was because this great woman of faith and like Mary's almost kind of, she's kind of like JV varsity is Jesus, Right. And we go to that end of the spectrum, but, but because some of us do that, and some in our church culture do that, many of us, we swing to the other side of the pendulum. And we almost say, hey, Mary's not exalted, she's insignificant. I mean, she's a 15-year-old girl, small town, like married to, a, uh, engaged to a carpenter, I'm like, didn't know much, like all these kinds of things, and like, it's really about, it's all about Jesus. And we kind of just gloss over the faith of Mary and we don't want to do that either, right? Like really, both of those ends of the spectrum, they err and they really miss what God is trying to teach us through the woman of the virgin birth, right? See, the woman of the virgin birth should really lead us to the wonder of the virgin birth. We shouldn't exalt Mary and be in awe and wonder of her, but we should look at her faith and example. We're going to do that at the end of our time together, but we should look at that and say, okay, God, you had a plan, and in your plan, it was to bring the Savior of the world through maybe a 15-year-old girl from a small town married to a carpenter. And that, that's meant to cause us to pause and step back and think about our 12-year-old daughter getting pregnant and be scared and never want that to happen, right? My, my daughter's 12-year-old, Right? And I have to think about that because I'm like, well, Mary was just a couple years older and she brought the son of God into the world. How is that possible, right? And we get that through this setting and this, and this sequence and, and you kind of see it, right? You see it with Mary's response. You see some scholars will say, well, hey, virgin could have just meant young girl. Like we don't have to believe in this sort of supernatural virgin birth. Like you don't have to keep that as a part of your Christian faith. That's, that is kind of crazy, but but that goes against Mary's response. Did you notice her response? One, she's troubled and afraid of an angel, just like everybody else in the Bible. If Mary's so exalted, well, she's just like everybody else, right? Uh, but we also see, she says, how will this be? Because she knows how babies come. Like first comes marriage, then comes a baby in a baby carriage. She's from a small town. She's 15 years old, but she knows how, how babies come out, right? And she's saying, 
how will this be? Because I've never had sex before, and I know how it works, the biology of it, but I'm going to have a baby. And so, so we have to look at this and say, we can't excuse it and say, well, she was just a young girl. That's what virgin means. No, no. She is acknowledging, I've never done the act that produces the baby. How is this going to happen, right? And, and looking at that, as it is in the text and noticing all those nuances and details, again, it leads us to there is a wonder of the virgin birth. See, here's my goal today. Uh, this whole series has a little bit of an apologetic bent to it. I mean, go back and watch the last sermon. We said, hey, the reason this story is so powerful is because it's historical and reliable. And so I, I'm all about that. We're gonna get to a little bit about that today, but I just wanna make really clear, here's, what, here's the case I'm making today. It is not that the virgin birth is reasonable. That would be a lost cause, like for me as your pastor, to preach a sermon like that. Here's the case I'm making. It's not that the virgin birth is reasonable. It's that it's unreasonable to believe everything is reasonable. Right? That's what we're gonna talk about. So here's the second point as we talk about that. It's the wonder of the virgin birth. Look at verse 34 again with me. It says, Mary says, how will this be? I am a virgin. The angel responds. Here's how it's gonna happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Oh, okay, that makes sense. The, <laughs> the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Verse 36 it's the same thing God is doing with this barren woman, Elizabeth. You're a virgin, she's barren. It may seem impossible, verse 37, but nothing is impossible with God. And there's some wonder there. There's some wonder there, even acknowledged in the text. Like, if you're here today and you say, man, this virgin birth thing, it's kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around. And like, it just seems, like even when we talk about that out loud, it just seems like Christians must be crazy and naive. And you need to know, if it seems impossible to you, that's implied in the text. When it's said, nothing is impossible with God. Acknowledging this seems impossible, but with God, it is possible. And so, so I want to make the case that, like, not that virgin birth is reasonable. I don't even think Scripture's making that case, but that, that it's unreasonable to believe everything is reasonable. And I want to do that with two examples, two other births. The first is the birth of the universe. I know it's hard for us to think about because we really don't stop uh, to, to think about this long enough. We don't, we don't get off social media. We don't stop arguing about politics and we don't stop buying gifts at Christmas and enough to, to just stop and think about that right now you are on a rock floating in space, actually spinning, but you're not flying off. Do you ever think about that when you wake up in the morning? Oh, I'm on the ground. Like what is happening? That's your reality. That's my reality right now. Another part of our reality is we are close enough to a giant fireball in the sky to get warmth, but to not incinerate because of it. Do you ever think about that reality? We have stars that light up the night sky. We have planets that are, that are also, they're not, they're not like running into each other, right? How, how is that happening? And we don't stop to think about that, but I think if we stop to think about it, we would think that is a miracle. Amen? In fact, when people do stop to think about that, about 95% of people in the world, most studies will, will tell us, they believe in some sort of miraculous birth of the universe. There's sort of the cause and effect, even the logic of it. Like, hey, if we're this close to the sun, like if we're in Phoenix having the sun shine down on us 
every single day, <laughs> but not burn us up? Hmm, somebody orchestrated that. Like, that's fine-tuned detail, amen? Like, and, and so most people, like 95% of people in our world, they'll say yeah, there was some higher being, some powerful force that caused all of this to happen. There is intelligent design. And then definitely in the Christian faith, like we believe this, right? And we don't just believe God hung the stars in the sky and created the planets and all of life. We believe not just in a virgin birth of a little baby, we believe that God created a full-grown man, Adam, and then created Eve from a rib. Do you believe that? Nobody? <laughs> we need to preach a whole new series at the new year. I hope you, but that's what we believe. In the Bible, as Christians, historically, in the Christian faith, we believe that God hung the stars in the sky, that he created all the planets. The reason we're not being burned up is he did it perfectly, powerfully. It was a miracle. He created a full-blown man and then a woman out of nothing. God did that. And so if you start to realize, okay, we believe that, why don't we believe the virgin birth? You see, it's unreasonable to believe everything should be reasonable. Our whole world is a miracle. Like the birth of the universe is a miracle. But it's not even just from people who believe this stuff and believe in Jesus or believe in even in higher power. There's a guy named Stephen Hawking who was a physicist, who was an atheist, and he talked about and promoted spontaneous creation. That according to the laws of eternity and space and all these things, that somehow something like the universe, sun, stars, planets, all the above, life, somehow the, the natural laws of the universe, it just pushed the universe out into motion. <laughs> and it happened. You know what that sounds a lot like? A virgin birth. Wait, didn't, something came out of Nothing. Even the atheist is acknowledging the wonder of our world. We live in a miraculous world. So it's unreasonable to believe that everything should be reasonable just by nature of the fact of we're floating on a rock right now in space. Right? Okay. Next example. The birth of all children uh, is a miracle. Again, we don't stop to think about this very much. Even on Child Dedication Sunday, we're like, okay, yes, we, yes, we do. You know, like, yes, I don't even know what that means, but sure, okay. Uh, but these babies are a gift from the Lord. They're a miracle. Like, for me as a parent, like, uh, each one of my kids, 12, 9, and 6 years old, like, every time they were born, I was reminded of this fact. Like, dads, I don't know if you stood next to your wife while she gave birth. And like, I'm just, everybody calm down. I'm not going to share with you the details, Right? But just to be clear, nobody talks about that, right? Before we first had a child, nobody told us what happens. <laughs> nobody told us how crazy it was, right? I'm just standing there and I'm like, wait, is that, what is, oh, that's the head? What, why, why is she purple? Is that okay? Yeah, it's really fine. Like, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like almost fainting, like, this is, this is a miracle. Like you get the baby. That, that little baby that was purple and chalky is now 12 years old and she's like running track. <laughs> and she believes in Jesus. That's a miracle, right? 
And listen, and, and in that, that circumstances, like that was a miracle, but the circumstances like were pretty smooth. Like my wife, uh, some of you women who are moms are gonna uh, hate my wife, but just don't do that. Don't hate my wife. Uh, she had an easy first birth. She slept the majority of her labor. I know. She took a shower after her water broke before we went to the hospital and put on makeup for the picture, even though, <laughs> babe, you didn't need to do that. You're naturally beautiful, right? But it was like smooth, but it was still a miracle. Our second child, nothing like that, right? We got kind of cocky, to be honest, after our first child and the way that whole thing went, that my wife is in the middle of the night, she's having contractions, definitely painful, but we're just like, no, we got this. It, we don't have to go to the hospital and wait a long time anyway. Like, let's just, let's just play this out a little bit longer. And we played it out too long. We barely made it to the hospital. No joke, it was like the movies you've seen. I was running red lights 100 miles an hour at 4 a.m. We got her into the hospital, they wheeled her in. My wife was asking for the drugs and asking, yelling for the drugs. Like, and they were like, sweetie, it's too late. (laughs) And they got her, wheeled her into the hospital room, got her in the bed, she pushed twice and Ashwin was born. And he's a miracle. He just played basketball yesterday. That's a miracle. That's a miracle we made it to the hospital. Like, it's a miracle he played basketball. It's a miracle. Our third child, different than all of those. Our third child was born in Phoenix, and we came to Phoenix uh, without any family or friends. And so we didn't have our people. You know, the people, when you have two older kids, they're going to watch your kids while you go birth another kid. And so we didn't have those people. So we, like after a few months of knowing people, we're like, hey, will you be our people? <laughs> and will you watch our kids and we go uh, and have this next baby? And they're like, yeah, sure. And then like um, my wife is going into labor and the lady comes over to our house and she's like, well, you know what? Uh, my wife's in labor. Did y'all catch that? Wife's in labor. And uh, the lady's like, you know, my son has soccer practice. And I know he, he kind of wanted to talk a little. He's seen a little emotional day. And I don't know, like, if I can do this. And we're like, what? <laughs> You're our people. Did you not know what you signed? I didn't sign anything. But like, and so we had to go to the hospital. And literally, while my wife is giving birth to our third child, she is crying, worried about her two other babies. And we had to bring in uh, reinforcements who are some of our best friends today. You want to make some best friends, like have an interaction like that. Have us, they came from like an hour away. They were on like a hiking trip and they came and watched our kids. And my wife was crying tears of joy, right? But then we got little Tandavi out of that. And she was this miracle baby through all those circumstances. All of births are a miracle, right? I mean, even just when you talk about it out loud, Right? I can tell all of us got here, so we just kind of get numb to it. But like, I was at the zoo with my family uh, several weeks ago in the West Valley, and we were like, hey, Tanavi, we were here six years ago, but you were in mommy's tummy. You ever say things out loud, and you're like, that's crazy. <laughs> like, I mean, she's kind of looking like, what? Y'all are nuts, right? Because all birth is miraculous. You see, if you really think about the birth of the universe, the birth of all of us in this room, your kids, it's unreasonable to believe that everything should be reasonable, right? It's, as you look at scripture and see, man, this Holy Spirit conceived child, 
Nothing is impossible with God. Look at your kid. Look at the sun. You can't not in Phoenix. Right? And just realize nothing's impossible. So you struggle with the virgin birth. You have doubts about that. And nothing is impossible with God. We look at that as we see the birth of the universe, the birth of our kids in general. The last point, the why of the virgin birth. Here's why this matters. Why we talk about this in church, other than I love the pain of preparing apologetic sermons, right, that are hard to apply, although we're gonna apply it, just wait. Why are we talking about this? Because it is essential to our faith, primarily for two reasons. The why of the virgin birth, it's a sign, and because it's the Savior, First, it's a sign. Matthew 1 tells us, hey, all of this happened this way specifically, the virgin birth, so that what was told through the prophet could be fulfilled. What it's referencing in Matthew 1 is Isaiah chapter 7, where it was spoken that a child would be born, a Messiah would come, a Savior would come to the earth through a virgin birth. And Matthew 1 says, hey, this is the sign. This is how we know. Jesus is the Savior. He is the Messiah. And so some people will say, well, the virgin birth is not a crucial point. It's not a crucial, you can believe, like even Jesus lived, he died, and he came back to life. But you don't have to believe the virgin birth. No, no, no. If you say that, you're saying God's promises and plans, they're not true that God doesn't fulfill his promises and that scripture itself cannot be trusted. So it's a sign. It's incredibly essential to our faith. But it's also, it produces the Savior. This virgin birth produces the Savior. It shows us that, that God is, Jesus is fully human, but also fully God. If you read the Gospels, even if you just go back and watch the series we did prior to this series, you know Jesus claims to be God. Like John 10, he says, I and the Father are one. The, our whole series, the I Am series we did, we talked about I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's not the only God claim that Jesus makes. Every single one of those I am statements, Jesus is hearkening back to Exodus chapter three, where God the Father says, I am who I am. I am self-sufficient, self-existing. I am God. Jesus particularly uses that same phrase. I am, he is God. He's fully God. And that's important because as Jesus dies on a cross for all the sin of mankind, that is a sufficient payment for death. Because he's fully God. He can carry the weight of all of your lust, pride, and greed. All of your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin. All of your sins of omission and commission. Jesus can handle that. Why is the death of Christ on the cross sufficient for all of your sin? Why do we sing songs hand-raised about it? Because Jesus was fully God. But it's not just that. It's because he's also fully human. He's both. He's not half and half. It's not a creamer. He's fully God and he's fully human. Philippians 2 tells us he was born in the likeness of man. He was born like silent light, night. Maybe he was crying. Like no crying he made. He's fully human. Probably crying. There was hay in the manger. I don't know. He's fully human. He probably stubbed his toe. 
he felt the warmth of the sun that didn't burn him up. He felt the highs and the lows of life. He saw a good friend of his die, and even though he was fully God, he was also fully human. He was fully God. He knew he was going to bring Lazarus back to life, but he still wept. Fully God, fully human. He's our representation and our redemption. The virgin birth brings that about. Because he was from God, from the Holy Spirit, not tainted by original sin, not tainted by the sin of Mary and Joseph. He wasn't brought into the world just like you were. He was from God, still perfect, sinless in every way, but he was fully human. He was born in the likeness of man so he could empathize with our weaknesses, Hebrews chapter four says, so he could be our representation, so he could be the curse under the law that we should have been. Jesus died in our place for our sin. This is the beauty of the gospel. It's what uh, Swiss theologian Karl Barth talks about, this this word huper in the Greek language. He says the most beautiful word in all of history because that word means in place of. Jesus is our representation and our redemption. Amen? And this is why we worship, and it stems from an unlikely place that we don't like to talk about, that we don't like to think about, the virgin birth. So we have to see that. Now, is the point of this sermon just to be more confident in your faith? That's part of it. Is the point of it to think about like the wonder of the whole universe, the wonder of childbirth, the wonder of God creating Adam and Eve? Yeah, that's part of it. It is the point for when your faith is challenged, maybe at Christmas season about the virgin birth specifically, to talk to your friends and, and be knowledgeable about that. That's, that's part of it. But it's more personal than that. Right? We said it about Mary. She's not to be exalted, but she is an example. And we see it in this text. As she goes from this place of how will this be to let it be? And here's our big idea. Here's our whole point that I want you to walk away with is don't let how will this be keep you from let it be. Does that make sense? If you look closely in this story, here's what is amazing about Mary's faith is she had questions. We're doing the series Questioning Christmas. Mary had questions. How's this gonna happen? And it wasn't, sometimes we'll teach this in churches, it wasn't that a, like she landed in a place of faith. Well, she had questions, but she landed in a place of faith. Like we could believe that if it was two years later. It was two minutes later. She gets one explanation and it's the Holy Spirit is gonna make this baby. You know who the daddy is? Holy Spirit. Oh, okay, now I get it. You think she still had questions when she said, let it be? Yeah. You see, here's sometimes what we do in church is we say, here's your two options, faith or questions. And we say, if you have questions, you need to depart from your faith. In fact, you need to go somewhere else and answer those questions apart from God, because we don't really like to talk about questions in the church. Like you heretics, stop asking questions, right? And we kind of give that one end of the spectrum. But then we say, well, if you have faith, like you're good, never questions, don't doubt, your dad's sick, he's got cancer, your mom's doing this, you've got sin in your life, you got conflict in your family at home that you're about to go to, just have faith, brother. 
And we're gonna say faith and questions. Choose faith or questions. That's not what scripture tells us. It says faith in questions. Listen, because that literally, in essence, is what faith is. You know what, getting all of your questions answered, Mary got all, she got the plan. If she got the, Mary, did you know the song? She didn't know. She was 15, <laughs> right? She got the, hey, his power is gonna overshadow you. Okay, write that down, like mark up a system. Like if she had all of her questions answered before she gave birth to Jesus, or before she said, let it be, that's not called faith, that's called strategy, Everybody has questions. Mary had questions. She had faith in her questions. It's not about faith or questions. It's will you have faith in the midst of your questions, amen? That's why Mary is a great example. This 15-year-old girl who's engaged to a carpenter from a small town of Nazareth. What good can come from Nazareth? An angel shows up to her. Hey, your cousin's pregnant. Oh, sweet. She's barren. Oh, great. You're a virgin. You're pregnant. Oh, yeah, you're going to bring the son of God. He's going to save the world. She had questions. She didn't have two years to study this in seminary. She had a few months to birth the baby. She had questions, but in the midst of her, how will this be? She said in faith, let it be. That's what God is calling you to. Maybe some of your questions are about the virgin birth. And you're like, Tim, you didn't answer all of them. Which I'm like, really? I didn't answer all your questions? I go back and watch this later, maybe. Um, no, I know I didn't answer all your questions about the virgin birth, but we, we try to navigate some of them in faith. How will this be? How could it be? But let it be like Mary did. And I think some of us, like your big question is the virgin birth. I think most of us, we got some other questions, don't we? Like last week, some of you submitted prayer requests. Thanks for doing that on your connect cards. You can always do that. And some of them were anonymous, but they, they had questions they had questions about their family and conflict that they were about to go to, like some really deep conflict that they were about to enter back into as they go home from Christmas. There was sickness. There was cancer. There was questions about the church and their faith. And, and you know what that was? That wasn't questions or faith. That was faith in the midst of their questions. When you wrote down that prayer request in the midst of your questions, about going home for Christmas, about that sickness, about that sin in your life. That is, how will this be? But let it be. That's faith. Just asking for prayer. And I know some of you have questions. You have questions about God and the church and your own life and circumstances as you go into this Christmas season. And my, my plea to you, my challenge to you, my encouragement to you is have faith in the midst of your questions. And don't think you have to leave the church and leave faith to have your questions answered. We all have questions. Everybody's got on their Sunday best today. We're going into Christmas. We wear red sweaters. We had baby dedication. Some of us got dressed up real nice and some of you are looking around the room. Nobody else probably has questions. Everybody's probably got all this figured out. We all have questions. Mary had questions. Will you have faith in the midst of your questions? That's the beauty of faith. Because if it's not that, it's not called faith. It's called strategy. 
And the beauty is we get to step out in faith, trusting a God that's bigger than us and bigger than our circumstances and bigger than even unreasonable things who created a universe, who had a virgin birth take place so he could redeem people from their sins. We have faith. We say, let it be, even if you're still wondering, how is this going to be? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these men and women. God, I just pray uh, for them in the midst of their questions, however small or big. Um, God, that you would intervene. Even this sermon would be a part of that by the power of your Holy Spirit supernaturally that you would cause some people in this room to say, let it be. Even while 30 seconds ago, they just said, how's it gonna be? They would now say, let it be in their finances and their family and their sickness and their sin and their strife. God, that we would be a people of faith, not strategy. And we would work out our questions in faith with you and with your people and with your spirit. God, I, I thank you so much that you're a God who invites that, who welcomes that, who is inviting that even now. And that we could step out in faith this morning, even as we sing about you and your birth and your glory. God, that you would give us faith. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.